0: Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to auscastnetwork.com for details.
1: You got me to this. You're going to stick by me. Admit nothing. With that cursed Zola still writing, still stirring up trouble, whole world screaming for the truth, admit nothing. Can't hold it off much longer. It can't, I tell you. Tremendous pressure has been put upon you. Save the army, convict Sola, and save France. I say to you, pick up that challenge. Save the army. Your husband, Madame, is under arrest in the Cherchmidi prison. Oh, you must be mad. You will serve your husband best by being quiet and saying nothing about this. If you don't, things will go badly for him. Search
0: the house. Welcome so to another episode of Awards Don't Matter, the podcast that uh, I, Andrew Pierce, and my co-host, Dave, uh, take a look at all the Best Picture winners and some of the uh, losers too, and decide whether they still matter or not. Uh, welcome, Dave. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Yes, I, (laughs) unlike you, am happy
2: to be here. I have energy. You are like, here's this fucking best picture winner. God damn it. But I am excited to talk about the long life of Emile Zola, which is what we're here to talk about today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this is directed by William Turley. Uh, who's a German who moved to America to make films because that's what a lot of Europeans did in the early 1930s. And that's where, you know, there is something to be said about um, the American, uh, the quality of American films being driven by European directors. But this is not the podcast to do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But this is not one of those quality films. Uh, This is is a film that is about uh, the 19th century French author Emile Zola who is played by Paul Mooney here, uh, who is a writer and uh, he's, uh, he's held up in a lot of uh, ways for writing a lot of books that we get to see a lot of covers of. Um, and then eventually he gets involved in the Dreyfus Affair. Now, Dave, let's start this off by asking, did you know what the Dreyfus Affair was? Are you cultured and educated oh, and historian? You, you know <laughs>
2: that I am not. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think the only thing like I recognized from this movie at all was the name of his friend. Uh, like, oh, the painter. Okay, yeah, I, I know that guy. Uh, but that's it. That was my. <laughs> that was my only connection with this whatsoever. So I was like you know, basically coming in blind to world history. Because I live in America where we only teach American history and only the good parts. So I'm I'm not interested in that world nonsense. So the great thing about that is, like, everything is brand new. I'm like a child when when world history comes into the equation. So, yeah, this was all brand new for me.
0: Yeah, look, I I only knew of it um, because of... uh... Unfortunately, a terrible person. Uh, but because uh, Roman Polanski directed a film recently uh, called An Officer and a Spy, which is all about the mm. Dreyfus affair, and while I'm never going to watch that film, um, it sounds like that particular story is a little bit more uh, dedicated to telling the truth. Um, (laughs) i love this movie even the very beginning like basically gives you a warning like this is all bullshit like
2: you know other than emile zola basically everything else in here is is lies so like get used to it we're this is uh basically historical fiction it's what we're going to be telling for the next two hours and change
0: so the core aspect of this particular story is about telling the truth it's about unveiling a uh, devastating thing that occurs in the French army where uh, basically somebody is passing along information to the Germans and they they get caught. Well, somebody gets caught. The wrong person gets caught. This poor gentleman, Dreyfus, gets caught and sent off to an island far away where people are just employed to make sure that he stays there strapped to a bed. Good <laughs> um,
2: work if you can get it. That seems like a really easy job. Yeah. I mean, that, that seems...
0: Yeah, and then, you Pretty know, it's ocean views, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and then, you know, everybody is a bit like, a little bit gung-ho in supporting the, um, the military and stuff. But here in the film, they neglect one of the major aspects, which is that there is a whole bunch of anti-Semitism that occurred in real life. And I didn't know about this until after watching the film. Like I, I tend to watch these films and then read up about them afterwards because I try and take them at face value. Um, and I felt really angry about that because it felt like, you know, this feels like a bit like green book in a way where we're like, yeah, I know what exactly happened. Like there, there is some truth and stuff. (laughs) There's truth that occurred here. But what we're going to do is just kind of dull it down to the core essence of what we want to tell and not actually what happened. And I guess that leads me to the main question of, like, both of us didn't know about Emil Zola and, and the Dreyfus Affair and stuff like that. And yet this is our first interaction with it. And I know that it's not like this is a film that everybody is rushing to go and see and all this kind of stuff in 2021. But on the same hand, if somebody picks up this film and doesn't know about those things, is it unfair, like, the reading of history that they're going to get from this film, is it unfair that they get that kind of reading? Or, are, I mean, we, we rely so much on films to carry across some history, which is wrong, because Wikipedia is right there. But, um, you know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> like... Uh-huh. I don't know what I'm trying to get at, but I'm just like... I get frustrated with this, this fudging of the truth because we, we do hold films up so high as the document, the, the, the enduring document, basically.
2: So here's where I'll disagree with you in your, I, I see where you're coming from with all of this, including your ridiculous comparison to Green Book, <laughs> one of the worst, one of the worst Oscar winners of all time. Um, Green Book is very much on its face about race relations. Right. So it feels like, okay, this is the story we want to tell. Emile Zola is not about I mean, is about the Dreyfus affair. That's like half of the movie. But there's another hour and change that isn't about that at all. So I don't I think if you called this the Dreyfus affair, then I have more of an issue with it because it's like, okay, this is the one story we're trying to tell. And the Dreyfus affair to me here seems like a backdrop to everything else that's going on with Emile Zola. So I didn't take this as like, oh, this is the lesson they're trying to teach. This is what I should walk away from, uh, walk away w- with this from. And so I didn't take this as like, oh, now I know about the Dreyfus affair. Like I would never think that after watching this movie. It is very clearly about Emile and it's about, you know, his, how it impacted him. So it's it's all about, it's serving the main character. So I'm a kind of more fine with it. Um, whereas in something like, whereas in something like Green Book, it's like, oh, we are going to tell a story about black and white people living together and, you know, figuring out their differences and how everything is okay. If you fold a pizza in half and shove it in your maw, like Viggo Mortensen, it's fine. And it's like, okay, so that is the story they're trying to tell. So that to me is more offensive. Whereas this it's just kind of a glancing look at that and to see how it impacts our main character. And this movie is so interesting to me, honestly. Like, I don't think it's particularly, it's not great. Um, I don't think it's terrible. This is like one of those very middle of the road movies for me, like somewhere from two and a half to three and a half stars like it's just kind of right in that middle um and the reason it's right in that middle for me is I think the beginning basically everything leading up to where his friend says on. Basically he tells him he's a fucking sellout, which is fucking great. <laughs> like he's just like, and he's like, "Hey, can I still hang out with you? Like, can I write you a letter?" He's like, "Nah, nah. I'm good, actually. Sellout. I'm gonna be here being poor by choice. Where you're just gonna sit in the lap of luxury, and that's your life. And that's fine that you're doing that, but you can't actually be an artist and do that."
1: Albert, yes, make certain that all the windows are tightly shut. <laughs> Emile, <laughs> Emile, Emil. still afraid of draughts. My chest, you know. Oh, your chest is as strong as a barrel. Oh. It always was. Oh, Paul, I've always, you know. I... Oh, I want to show you something. Look at this priceless bit of wood carving. I picked it up at Lodi. An extraordinary piece of craftsmanship. And oh, now I have a real rare treat for you. I have something here that you may have traveled the world over and never have found its life. This will simply leave you breakfast. This most exquisite maiolica. I chanced upon it in a little out-of-the-way shop in Venice. The work on this... Uh, won't you sit down, Paul? No, I must go. It's goodbye. Goodbye? Yes. I'm going south. Back to the country. Ah. You You can't do that, man, why, Paris is the very center. Paris isn't for me any longer. Come, Paul. We're old friends. Out with it. What is it? You really want me to tell you? Why, of course. You're wealthy now. World famous. A member of the Legion of Honor. You've come a long way from the days when we started together in an attic. Hmm? And you shouted, burn the books of the hypocrites, the shams, and let their lying pages warm the bones of a man of truth. Sometimes I'm tempted to give in and paint for. Now, Emil, an artist should remain poor. Otherwise his talent, like his stomach, grows fat and stuffing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mill, but I had to say it. You're my oldest and my dearest friend. I couldn't go without telling you this. Oh. Hmm? Won't you stay? I need someone to remind me of the old, struggling, carefree days. Fighting for a foothold. You can never go back to it. And I've never left it. Paul. Mm -hmm. Will you write? No.
2: figure out his voice, and attack the system. I was like, this is, wow. I I kept thinking, like, why is this a forgotten Oscar winner? Like, this is actually really good. And I think that's, like, at about the 40-minute mark. And then everything comes to a screeching fucking halt. Like, just like, oh, man. Because you got to tell... Like, I understand what they're doing, right? They're telling this backstory of how Zola is going after the military and being a truth teller, and that's all great. But then they have to slow everything down to tell all this stuff about Dreyfus. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? I don't care about this guy. Like, And it's like dramatic things are happening, and yet I'm kind of bored by all of it. Like, I'm like, okay. And then A happened and B happened and C happened, and then we get to F. Okay, fine. But then it picks up again once we get to the trial. And it's really because of the lead performance here. Like, he really kills it in that scene. It's maybe, it's gotta be one of the first, like, dramatic. Courtroom soliloquies that we see on film. Like this is, you know, back in 1937. So this is a very so it's very interesting to watch this and kind of see how little has changed. Uh how we still love this shit. We love some some white guy pontificating in court about how this is the wrong way to do things and we have to fix this problem and we have to solve it. Um and it's like, oh yeah, we still do that. So that scene like, honestly, for me, it was worth watching the movie just for that scene. Like, I think it's just a tremendous moment in film. And I kind of wish the movie ended right after that speech. Because uh, like everything else, it's like, I mean, it's, it's wrap-up, but it's long. It's like 25 minutes of like, oh, okay, let the guy out of prison? Oh, okay, now he's got to die of some weird poisoning thing. And it's like, oh, guys... Let's go. Not every movie has to be two hours and 20 minutes. We can wrap this up earlier. Um, So it's a really interesting, so it it does, there are moments of this that I will never watch again. Like I can't imagine sitting through this again, like a full, like the full, like 140 minutes or whatever it is. Um, But I could definitely see myself going back and finding clips of this and be like, oh yeah, I like that moment a lot. And then I think about other things that were nominated that year. And then I, and then, (laughs) And then I get kind of mad. Uh, so it's a really interesting year, actually, because there's a lot of stuff that's totally forgettable. Yeah, Well... And then there's the so it's very top heavy.
0: We'll get we'll get to that in a moment because I I want to touch on some of the things you were talking about there because I think one of the main problems with this film is its editing. I think there is a great film here. Um, There are great performances. Uh, I think that in those those courtroom sequences near the end, I was actually more taken by Zola's attorney, uh, Mater Labore, also good, uh, played by Donald Crisp, who is dogged in his. Defense of Zola and really pushes, you know, I don't care if this trial is going to take six months, we're going to do this. And I was really fascinated by that. But that first half, yeah, okay, all of that stuff happens, we learn about Zola as a person, but the editing and the the appearance and disappearance of characters is just so, like... <laughs> It's confusing. Okay. Speaking of that,
2: did you think like his wife was gone forever when he like was talking to the prostitute? Yeah. Like I was like, what? What? And then all of a sudden like the back to, I was like, Oh, well, I guess she's cool with him hanging out with prostitutes. All right. Well, that's, that's, cool i guess uh very forward thinking of her but yeah you're absolutely right where like people just it's very clearly the life of emile zola and everyone else is more than secondary like they just disappeared oh we need we need this character for this bullshit moment so bring him back like no explanation
0: whatsoever but i i get the impression (laughs) that you know this is obviously made in the 1930s so there are a, a fair chunk of the audience was alive during Uh, these kinds of stories and, and this kind of event taking place and they have an understanding of what went on. So they already have that recognition of what's in mind and time is not kind to these kinds of films because time was not kind to Zola's wife, who we don't know. She wasn't Emil Zola. So therefore we don't care about her in this. And the film also doesn't care about her in this. And it doesn't really care about anybody other than the two main people, which is Zola and Dreyfus. And, that's fine, but I might argue that
2: it doesn't even care about driving. Yeah, baths.
0: it does. It, well,
2: like I'm not sure, you know. Yeah, like yeah, it, it, it's it's played as if like oh, this is a great wrong, but like we don't know anything about him. We don't really know what he's going through. Like there's there's not a lot of scenes of him imprisoned. It's all about like well, how is this affecting this this writer? Like, forget about the guy locked in a fucking castle somewhere, but the writer, yeah, that's what we should really be worried about. And
0: I think one of the biggest problems is that that the transition from Zola being this fighting person against what the the, the injustices that are going on in Paris at the time, and, and all this kind of stuff, and we see some really impressive sequences of uh, violence in the streets, of rioting and stuff like that, and... You know, there's, what was it? There was a point early on where like some building collapses and he's standing there and then somebody, and then the police officer's like, no, piss off, you don't need to be here. And it's just like something happened. I don't know why that was wrong. Like, I don't, that seemed like a tragedy. Why do we, why should we care about that? And then he just flips on a dime and is like, like, when, when he's so dogged and, 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 and so like, no, no, I'm going to write these stories. I'm going to do this.
1: Chief censor over there. Monsieur? Mr. Zola? I sent for you because every book you've written has caused us trouble. You attacked the Second Empire. You attacked the Third Republic. Germinal caused a furor and unrest among the miners that lasted for years. Nana, brutal, disgusting, the truth, all of them stirring the whole of France to restlessness, angry passion. And now this downpour attacking our army. The army heads are furious. Such a book makes the whole country lose confidence and respect. lose confidence and in inefficiency. lose respect for cowardice and stupidity. That would be a pity, monsieur. Nevertheless, you write no more such books, monsieur Zola except perhaps one about the rascality of army-ridden politicians. That's an idea, to expose the government itself with as much truth and accuracy as I put into the downfall. A book that would show... Oh, no. I mean, you're a reasonable man, Monsieur Zola. We only want to do what we think is best for our country. You will do what is best for yourself, Monsieur, by leaving me strictly alone to write what I please, as I please.
0: And then we see him like rolling in money, effectively from his writing. And writing, we don't know what the novels are like. I'm not going to read them, but uh, I get the impression that they're <laughs> light affairs. Like they, they seem with the titles that we see on screen that it's just going along like this, um, this roulette wheel. It's just. You know they okay so speaking
2: speaking of those titles, this is a very small gripe, but it like for some reason really got under my skin and really bothered me is that every one of these books has the exact same cover uh, and the exact same I was like can we get I mean we have all this technology we have all this money behind this movie can we not? I don't know, get a little different shadow on it, a little different font. Like their eyes, it just kind of looks cheap where it's just like this, you know, this Rolodex of books going through and I get what they're doing. It's like, okay, we're trying to show not only the passage of time, but the fact that he doesn't have just one pet issue or pet project. It is, he is fighting injustice everywhere possible. But I was like, I don't know that we even really need this to like prove our point here. We're actually good. We get it. Like, it is a movie that, like, you know, this is a drastic simplification of the editing process, of course, because editing is not just about cutting things out. But, man, this movie could be shorter. It's it's interesting. It could either be much shorter or much longer. Like, because, like you said, we don't really see the transition to him being a young man who is fighting the power to this older man who is, drowning in money like we just we just have that moment like you mentioned where it's like yeah you're right I'm not gonna do this anymore oh also a magic rich. <laughs> uh that's nice uh I guess I will retire to my castle with my lady but, friend like but then just- he
0: becomes an absolute prick as well where he's like so dismissive of the people that and I know that that's that's kind of I get that that's kind of the point of this story to be like don't forget you know your roots and don't forget what you what set you up as a person and all this kind of stuff and and that's important but I'm applying that reading to the film, the film's not giving it to me. And it's not giving that reading of Zola himself. It's just like he did this and then he did that and then he did this.
2: Yeah. I, I had that moment like when Cezanne, when you know, basically
0: <laughs>
2: reads him the riot act for being rich and an asshole, which I of course <laughs> loved. Um you know, it's only like forty five minutes to an hour in the movie, and I thought to myself, as I'm watching it the first time, like you could make a whole movie about this. You could about the rise and fall of a passionate man who fought for the right things and then gave in to money and comfort, and it felt so quick where we just went from like ah, and then like all of a sudden it's like nope nope uh, now you suck anyway I'm gonna go now uh, like give me a movie all about Cezanne like it's just like let's follow this dude around because he seems like a lot of fun and he's gonna tell you exactly how it is uh, and I you know. I also wish more time had been taken in the kind of journey from, oh man, he said something really mean to me and I am kind of comfortable. Maybe I should think about getting back into that fiery person, but it just kind of, it just kind of happens. And I think that's an issue. It's a biopic issue um, where it's like, whenever you're trying to tell basically the story of an entire human life, like, yeah, we wouldn't start when, you know, Zola was born, but we did start as a young man and all the way to his death they tend to make leaps and it's like, ah, there's so much material here. There's so much stuff. Like, like I said, you could make a movie about his fall from grace. You could make a whole movie about the Dreyfus, uh, court, uh, trial. Like you could make hour and a half to two hour movies about each one of those. So it becomes this two hour and 15 minute movie or whatever. That's just all kind of mashed together and kind of lacks a cohesive structure. Um, but this, this starts. So it's very interesting to talk about, oscars over time because this is man the academy loves this shit they still do a big courtroom scene a biopic fighting the power in a really non-risky non-confrontational way this is the oscars like this is catnip this is like oh yeah of course and nothing has changed in a hundred years we still love this exact kind of drama and when you have This is maybe one of the first movies we've covered where I felt like, oh, there's the Oscar clip. Like, I see it, like, that courtroom scene is 100% the Oscar clip. like Or even the scene when he is arguing with the bookseller that he's working for, where he's clerking at. And he's telling him, I'm going to do exactly what I want, and I'm going to do the right thing. And no matter what you do, I'm glad you're firing me. Like, it's very dramatic all the way through. So there's a lot of those moments here where I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see why not only Hollywood, but the Academy in particular would absolutely eat this stuff. One
0: of the things which I found really interesting is that... Out of the films that we've watched so far, there are, you know, there is this uh, looking at the other kind of aspect of things. So we look at something like All Quiet on the Western Front, or this one, The Life of Emile Zola, and um, or even Grand Hotel to an extent. And these are American stories that are told about foreign countries. They're told about Germany. They're told about France. And yet... There is this real, like, Jesus Christ, that country is... Look at what the fuck they're doing. They are fucked. There is something real wrong there. And yet, on the same hand, when they start telling American stories and celebrating American stories, it's like there is a a celebration of the infallibility of Americanism. We look at, you know, coming up, we've got something like Gone with the Wind, which is kind of... I mean, we'll talk about that eventually, but it's... um, a little bit celebratory in a way. And I find that kind of comparison really interesting where it's like, you know, looking across to everybody else and pointing at them and going, geez, you do And feeling a bit better about yourself because at least we're not them. At least we're not doing this when that was happening. <laughs> and I don't think that that was ever on the mind of the voters or anything like that. It's not a conscious thing, but it's just... It's hard not to look at the catalogue of films and see this kind of thing and there are films that are critical of uh america and things like that that have won um but they're few and far between in a way there's there's a little bit more of a celebration yeah
2: yeah i'm I'm glad you brought up all quiet on the western front because that absolutely came into my mind like within the first five minutes of this movie where we're like oh this is the american uh, By a German anti-French <laughs> movie, like oh Jesus, we are really, really going for it. And obviously, All Quiet on the Western Front is a much better film than The Life of Emile Zola. They handle it much better. And I think, I think All Quiet on the Western Front, you even though it doesn't take place in America because it's like kind of done, you know, without other languages and done with the you know American accent, it feels like. It feels relatively real and relatively down to earth and something that we can take a lesson from. Like it may be saying like, oh, look at what the terrible things they're doing over there. But it's something that we can look at and look at ourselves. Right. It's a, it's just kind of like a, a funhouse mirror version. Right. Whereas this feels very distant and feels very like. Yeah, we would never do something like that. We would never, we would never be anti-Semitic. Certainly not in this country. We don't do anything like that. And we, we would never have riots in the street in the United States. Certainly not. Not like we have a history of that. Not like we had that in the last year here in the United States, but like it's, it does feel very pointed in that way. And it is like, and I think Americans specifically, like we, we have a high opinion of ourselves in a lot of ways. Uh, especially in the speaking truth to power arena, like to the point that we we soften everything, right, when it comes to people who have stood up against injustice, right? When people talk about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., all they talk about is nonviolence. They don't talk about rioting being the language of the oppressed and, you know, other such things that he said. He talked a lot about how terrible the situation was and how he understands when people turn to violence. He's not like, oh, we are holy and we don't do that kind of thing. So when we when we see someone standing up, we're like, yeah, fighting the good fight. That's the American value. That's exactly what we do. And Like, eh, do you, though? Like, not, not really. So it's very easy to view this film in that light and be like, oh, yeah, look at that messed up country over there. Look at the terrible things that they have done. And, yeah, thank goodness someone is standing up and doing the right thing. So I think that's definitely there. Uh, and I do find that I wish it was more like All Quiet on the Western Front where it did put that mirror up to what's going on in our country at that time. But I think, you know, during that time in the 30s, it's so easy to uh, to villainize Europe, uh, given what was going on with, you know, the recovery from World War One and the buildup of World War Two. It's so easy to point the finger. It's so easy. And then back then, also, we didn't know as much about our political structures and our politicians. And so we didn't have that negative attitude towards it. I mean, I think you could say that basically all the way up until Vietnam is that we would never think to hold up a mirror to that. Um, so instead we point the finger at everyone else. Cause that is truly, well, what we're
0: I want to touch on that in the sense that there is a, what I do like about this film uh, is the, the pointed manner that it criticizes the military. And that is a, I mean, it's inherent with the narrative. Um, and while the film does end on a, a a note that kind of suggests that this kind of, uh, there's just a few bad eggs, you know, it's no, like, it's just these couple of guys and then they all kind of resign and then everything, there's cheering in the, st- the street. And, and it's absurd because Dreyfus is like, instead of being like, man, we locked you up. You get to go back to being with your wife and stuff like that. It's like, no, we locked you up. And now you get to come back to the military, the place that actually locked you up. Um, But there is a pointed criticism of the military here. And there's a pointed um, statement of saying, maybe we shouldn't blindly celebrate, you know, the the entity that is supposed to uh, keep us safe. Maybe we should have a look and see what their actions are doing. And, I found that in itself quite interesting. And again, it's another aspect of this story that could be part of its own complete narrative. Um, but it is such a, I guess from an outsider's perspective, there is this, and I'm not, I, I don't want to uh, come across as glib or anything like that or, or dishonoring the, the soldiers who have fought in wars and things, but there is a infatuation, an American infatuation with the military there is a idolization There's this almost like a fetishization of of the military and um that's a real concern because it creeps into like in australia i see that kind of thing occur and it feels very american and we don't have that kind of um adoration the same level of adoration of the military and yet a film like this made in america um does kind of poke it at the military in a way. And I find that that's really good. I'm glad that exists, but I kind of want to see a little bit more of that, that exactly what this film is about, like shaking down the roof and going, all right, maybe we should take a look at what the higher up people, the people that we trust with our lives are actually doing. Are they doing the right thing? Can we actually question them? I wish that the film interrogated that a little bit more and celebrated that motif. And I know that again, you, as you were saying, this is about Emile Zola, but it feels like there are two narratives here that the filmmakers kind of rush through Zola's life because they're more interested in dealing with the Dreyfus stuff. But then when they deal with the Dreyfus stuff, it's like, Oh, but we should actually probably have be been more interested in Zola's life. So we've got to pay lip service to that too. And it's just a muddled mess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it has a lot of problems. So, can we talk about now the? Yeah, yeah, go the for other it. <laughs> uh, All right,
2: all right. So, so there's a lot of like kind of like middling stuff this year. Actually, like I watched in Old Chicago, which is the story of the Chicago Fire, uh, which clearly cost a lot of money, uh, and they didn't really give any of it to worrying about performances. Uh, they just wanted the big fire scene, and it's like it's fine. It's a totally, like, it's forgettable, but it's not a bad movie. Same thing with Lost Horizon, which was directed by Frank Capra, which is a very, like, a very strange movie about finding Shangri-La. Like, it is really weird. Like, it's, a, it's not a Frank Capra movie that you would think of when you think of uh, Frank Capra. Uh, a Star is Born is that year, but we're going to talk about that on a separate episode because Andrew hates both you and me. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Then there's stuff like Captain's Courageous, which is, like, one of those... Kind of classic, like grumpy old man befriends child movies with Spencer Tracy, and I did not enjoy my time with that very much at all. Um, but then you have things like The Awful Truth, um, directed by Leo McCarey, which is phenomenal, just a great, like, kind of screwball classic. Like, and he won Director, too, as well. And sorry. uh, yeah, yeah, he won Best Director, so thank god for that. Um, and then uh, Stage Door, which is also really good, it's a you know uh, Hepburn and Rogers, and it's really fun. I mean, that if I had to choose between all the movies nominated, I probably would go with Stage Door. That probably would have been my my vote. Uh, for this year. So it's like it's got... It's a very top-heavy uh, year in terms of the nominees. And then the rest, like it kind of... Like you can understand why people don't think about movies like this. Like, you know, like The Good Earth, um, which is a good movie, but kind of unfortunate. Because they wanted to cast an Asian female lead. But there were all these anti-miscegenation laws in the United States at that time. So they couldn't. So it's like it's a good movie, but it's like basically two to two and a half hours of yellow face like it's white actors playing asian so it's uncomfortable to watch now but it's a good it's a well-made movie so it's like ugh, i don't know how i feel that this i feel weird even watching this like ugh. uh so it's like it's overall a pretty good year so the fact that this one feels feels not great because there's at least three movies on this list that i'd like i'd be like oh okay that's a fun one like i wish we were going to talk about you know, stage door or the awful truth as a winner and talk about whether that matters or even a star is born, which we'll talk about in another episode, because whatever you think about it, clearly that movie, that story (laughs) has some staying power. So it's, (laughs) they keep making it over, or maybe they just haven't gotten right yet. They keep fucking up and we're just, Oh, we got to do it again. It's, you know, it's like the monkey's paw of Oscar movies. Like we just, we got to do this again for some stupid reason, but yeah, life of a is not a, Horrible movie, it's not a great movie, it's got its issues, it is very muddled, uh, as you said, but it's just like now and as I finish watching, I'm like, oh, that's why people forgot about it. Okay, I get it. Like that's why no one talks about it. They don't talk about like they don't talk about it like, oh, the worst Oscar winner ever or anything like that. Um, you know, it's not a movie about fucking horses and (laughs) shit. It's not Cimarron. Uh, it's not some terrible movie like that. Uh, always got to get but, that but, dig but, in. S- I am sorry.
0: Cimarron, um, but it's just like... That celebration it's just America? middling. That, like, we have done nothing wrong. We are perfectly fine. We have killed a lot of Native Americans, and that's A-OK. Um, I, I will say that this particular film made me... Uh, like, while I did like Cimarron, uh, there's no denying that there is a whole episode about it, um, This this film does make me want to recontextualize my rating system essentially for these kinds of films and and uh, assess what the question actually means does this film matter because the narrative here clearly matters the narrative is seriously important and you know we look at something like the the continuing nature of uh, uh the the letter that Zola writes that gets him in trouble where he publishes this huge screed about what's going on and stuff, and the title of it is "Jacuzz." And it's like we see that to, the, to today, but that there is no yeah. <laughs> that did make me laugh. That I mean, I laughed at yeah. I was like, "That is yeah, a joke exactly," now. and that's like, the thing. That's... I was like, "Oh, that's where it comes from." And the film would never have known, and filmmakers would never have known the cultural impact that that had had, although given this is taking place like 40 years after it occurred, like you might've expected some kind of um, awareness of it, but alas, you know, that's fine. Um, But I found that quite interesting because I was like, wow, that this, this is where that originated from. But there's so much that it just, yeah, the story matters, the film doesn't. And so it's making me recontextualize how I, Critique these films because yeah, you're right. It's not a it's not a terrible film, um, but I'm glad that we're recording this the day after I watched it because I can guarantee you that if we did this next week, I'd be like shit. Not gonna it remember happens? a goddamn thing. Oh no. Thing. Okay. Right. Sure. <laughs>
2: Where's the Wikipedia? Ooh, god, and I don't know, so man. This
0: award, this film won three awards: <laughs> best picture, best uh, adapted screenplay, and. An acting award. Can you tell me, Dave, out of, like, without looking, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, do you know who won an acting award for this particular film? What actor?
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's fucking Spencer Tracy in that shitty Captain's Courageous movie. Yeah. I mean, he's fine in it. Like, I don't, oh, no, I don't mind I'm that about win. Like, Emile it's.
0: Zola. It, watching... There was an actor from Emil Zola who won. Oh. Joseph Schildkraut, who played Dreyfus himself.
2: Really, I mean, he's fine, but like, kind of forgettable. Yeah, and well, that's especially when Ralph Bellamy from The Awful Truth should have won. But I'm glad that Uh, we're not doing an an acting
0: thing; we're doing the best picture because it's a little bit easier to look at that and go, "Well, this is yeah, yeah, yes,
2: yes, yes, absolutely." Yeah, it's a yeah. That is a weird 1937. is a weird year. It's a very strange year for movies. Like usually. I don't know. Maybe I'm imagining this, but I feel like usually uh when I look back at years of nominated films, either it's like, wow, that's a strong year or like, Jesus, what happened in 1992? I don't know. I don't know what 92 looks like, but like it's, you know, it's usually it seems pretty stark. Like you can kind of see what kind of year it was, you know, like 1999, obviously going to be a great year for movies like we all know that uh 37 is like this weird like in between like some like true classics in there and some movies you're like i've never heard of that and now i'm glad uh so well it is very strange for
0: sure you know i'm glad that we kind of do look back at these kinds of films and and reassess them and all this kind of stuff because it is um well it's interesting and important to see what's going on jesus christ there's the best scoring. There's about twenty nominations for best scoring here. That just again is sorry. I'm just looking at the list, and it's like, <laughs> I'm glad that we're coming up to a point where they start to compress things a little bit more. Um, a, it makes it makes life a little bit easier on you. Um, you don't have to watch twenty films, um, but also you know it it starts to we start to see the academy decide to just hone in on what it means to actually get a nomination and stuff like that. And uh, we will talk about that in a star is born um, because that does touch on the Oscars in a way, but it's just, um, yeah. Does this film matter, Dave? Do you think it matters?
2: See, I'm struggling with that. Um, because as I said, there are moments in here that are like, Oh, this is maybe the first time we've seen this in an Oscar nominated movie but I think, I think the answer is no. Like, I I think this is a terrible thing to say, but I think if this movie disappeared, no one would notice. Like, it's not like, Oh, I can really see the kernels of this in other movies. Uh, It's really has an impact. I, don't think it does and and if it does have any impact it's negative like the rise of the biopic is maybe one of the worst things that's ever happened to american cinema where they've just realized well we can take a historical figure and make it dramatic and people will eat that shit up because that way they don't have to read an actual book uh, so uh yeah i don't think the life of Emil zola matters it's in it's an inconsequential oscar winner uh, maybe the most inconsequential that we've had so far like, even the ones we didn't like were like, well, that was terrible, but it's memorable. This is like, like you said, talk to me in a week, and I'm like, the life of meal. who? I don't, I got nothing on that path. I, <laughs> I, don't, know, I don't remember who you're talking about. So yeah. so, yeah, I don't think this one matters.
0: No, it doesn't. And it, I'm I'm really sad that um, out of all the directors and people working today that it was Polanski that decided to adapt uh, The Dreyfus Affair again. And uh, because this is, I do think again. I think the story is interesting, and I think the story is valuable, and all this kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I just find this such a disappointment. And so, not that I ever expected anything from it, because it is so forgotten. Like in the discussion, didn't of,
2: you almost? The, didn't you almost hope it was worse? Like, because at least then you'd be like, oh, wow, what a piece of shit. I don't, I'm going to remember this forever. Like, I doubt I will ever forget Cimarron, and I, I hated that movie. Uh, so at least it's interesting. This just kind of lies there. Like, it's really yeah, flat.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I won't forget the great Zigfield either, because there are moments in that film which I'm, like, that, that central dance sequence and stuff like that is, it's impressive. And it's hard to forget that. Whereas this, I'm just like, it. it falls into that same trap of the, all of the other, um, biopics and all of the other courtroom dramas. It's like, okay, good. You, you're getting fired up about something. Yeah. Fantastic. No worries. Um, yeah. So that's the life of a meal. Do you have anything else you want to say about this? Uh, it's done the
2: impossible. It's made me look forward to our next, our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the subject material, I am now way more excited to talk about that than I am ever to even think about the life of Emil Zola ever again.
0: I I must say that there is a, to me, there feels like a a, a divide between this and the next few films that we'll be discussing, the next, next few winners. And that is, I'm very excited about what's coming up in the next few episodes because there are films which, A, I haven't seen, or B, I haven't seen in a while, that I'm like, these are ones that people keep on talking about, and that's what I'm excited for. So um, I'm glad to have this in the rearview mirror. Uh, I know that, yeah, if anybody is actually listening to this particular episode, thank you for doing so, but (laughs) I can't imagine... (laughs) And if you're a
2: super fan of this, we want to hear from you. You need to explain yourself Yeah. if you (laughs) like this movie, please.
0: (laughs) Because I imagine that this might pop up in people's podcast feed, and they'll go the fuck the what now yeah (laughs) so
2: just just download it and delete us Uh, give, give us a download and then move on it's okay yeah we understand
0: yeah um all right so that is uh the life of emil zola um you can follow us on awards don't pod on twitter and awards don't matter on facebook um Listen, out of episodes, I have never asked anybody to write and review. Do people still do that nowadays? To is that I mean, I don't. But
2: <laughs> but if you're a kind soul who really wants to take the time, we will appreciate it. And if Andrew uh, gets up off his ass and does it, we'll even like read the review on the show if you give us a <laughs> review and it's positive <laughs> we're not going to read negative reviews so don't bother not gonna re- we trust us anything anything negative you could say we've already thought of yeah. Uh, it's fine. Uh, so just give us the positive, give us that little ego boost, uh, and then we can put out more episodes. Yeah,
0: we are fragile people. Um, yet (laughs) for, for all of our fragility, um, Dave continues to create podcasts and talk about podcasts. So I'll let you wrap up the episode by telling people where they can find you online and, and what podcasts they should be listening to besides this one.
2: Sure. And also, the next episode, we're going to be talking about Star is Born. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ,
0: yeah. So, so get ready for that.
2: Um, If you would, for some reason, would like to hear yet more of my voice, um, there are many opportunities for you. You can follow me on Twitter, at DarnThatDave. You can also listen to me on a podcast with my buddy Mike called Offscreen Death, where I make him watch really, really good movies, very highly thought of movies off of, like, AFI and BFI lists, and he makes me watch, uh, like, sexual thrillers like Unfaithful. Uh, So we get a little bit of both, so you get everything you'd want. And I also just started another podcast uh, with my friend Joe uh, called Attack of the Third, uh, where we took a look only at third movies in series. So unbelievably, we started off our show with Critters 3, and we're about to record on... Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Robocop 3. Uh, those will be all next two episodes. So a little bit of everything there too. So just follow me on Twitter at darnthatdave and you will get incessant notifications of all these stupid podcasts that you can fill uh, fill your life with if you are that bored or if you have a long commute to work. So you're welcome.
0: <laughs> what a great button. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> What is your name? Satin, West District.
1: Montparnasse,
2: Georgette or Madelon. Does it matter?
1: When did you come to Paris?
2: A 100 years ago, when I was 17.
0: Love this podcast?